Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. And we are also joined by Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. market equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. To that on Fast, markets grasping for green at the end of the day with only the Nasdaq able to eke out a new record or stocks running out of steam. And now all eyes turn to Walmart with earnings out on Thursday. We break down what the options markets are predicting. Plus, the stocks that have been delivering the returns for short sellers and giving Tesla a bit of a break here. We start off with the latest tech company to get into the payment space, Facebook. That stock jumping after the social network announced a new payment service that will operate across all of its platforms. Let's get straight to Kate Rooney in San Francisco, who's got all the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. The social network is streamlining its payment options with Facebook Pay. You can think of this sort of as a wallet on Facebook. It lets you send payments to friends and shop online through apps like WhatsApp and Instagram. This is really the latest sign of the tech giants pushing to payments. We saw a little bit of that with uh, Libra and its ambitions in cryptocurrency. But WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger have not seen huge adoption when it comes to the current payment methods. Analysts are telling me this is a way to get the apps working together more seamlessly and by adding customers' finances The hope is they'll be a bit more engaged here. Facebook is partnering with PayPal and Stripe on the back end. They'll still support credit cards and PayPal checkout. Analysts tell me this could actually be a positive for PayPal since it's a partner in this announcement. And uh, Facebook Pay seems to be a little bit more focused on e-commerce than uh, peer-to-peer options like Venmo. Still, PayPal stock is getting a little bit of a hit after this today, moved a little bit lower also appears to be pressuring Square. So take a look at those shares. Down more than 3% today, guys. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney in San Francisco for us. So how does this shake up in the fintech affect this space? We saw it in the stocks, but this could really be a game changer given how many users there are across the Facebook platforms. And if this is really an integrated solution, it would be really easy to just use the pay- Facebook service as opposed to using another service. Yeah, I think that's the tailwind you should be getting, at least in Facebook. i be honest with you, I'm surprised Facebook is not significantly higher after the last earnings release about a week or so ago. I thought that was an, a fantastic report. I thought it would push over to those all-time highs of about 211 or so. I'm surprised we're not there. Maybe people are taking some money off the table. But this is just one more tailwind in the Facebook story. Dan yelled at me before. He goes, I know what you're going to say about Facebook at the beginning of the show, and I'm going to say it. I want to hate Facebook with every fiber of your being. Thank you for saying that. But you know what? You have to like the stock, and I think it continues to go higher from here. Well, good for you. You've been saying that for a while, even though you hate it, and that's been right. I, I mean, they do obviously have some political headwinds, right? You know, and aside from the antitrust, there's also, you know, the negative um, cloud overhanging. What are you going to do about political ads and, you know, how much responsibility should Facebook have? All that having been said, I think this is a good thing. We'll see if it gets traction. It reminds me, Apple Pay came out several years ago, got almost no traction. And then it's sort of now it's finding its way a little bit, a, a lot more. So 
I'm optimistic. I think it is potentially a negative just for dollars chasing the payment space for them to move around to other securities. Yeah, so interestingly, Kate mentioned that she's not sure it's about peer-to-peer, and that's something you mentioned, Apple Pay, and that's a big component of it. You know, when you think about um, their messenger unit, this is where they've seen a lot of growth since they bought WhatsApp. Um, You know, David Marcus, the former president of PayPal, was put in charge of that a few years ago. When you think of the timing of Libra versus this announcement in such a short period of time, you kind of scratch your head a little bit. You said this was the logical one, right? The next step instead of Libra. This was, you know, prior to Libra. Let's, like, kind of get this in place. Let's get our two and a half billion. Dollars. Yeah, let's use. Well, and, and the, the, the irony about Libra is it was a dollar-backed cryptocurrency anyway. So you know, I, I, you know, I, we can't get in the in the boardroom here and see how they made those decisions. But this is an obvious, obvious choice, and they have the guy to run it um, at least from David Marcus. Um, and then you say to yourself, okay, is it about peer-to-peer or is it about e-commerce? Is it about a Facebook pay button across the web all over the world? And then you start thinking about this is just one of the the most used mobile apps, any one of those at any given time, and you think about China and why WeChat does so well. Payments is a huge part of that with e-commerce, but also peer-to-peer. So this is the announcement that people, Facebook bulls, have been waiting for for years, and it's odd that it comes after the Libra disaster just a few months after. Well, even putting aside just the pay- being in the payment space, it's all about, right, keeping people on the platform, s- just staying on the platform, because more people who stay on the platform, the longer they spend on the platform, the better the ad dollars that they'll get. So it's it's sort of this virtuous cycle. Well, that's here. the Apple model, right? I mean, keeping yeah. that keep, keeping people in the, in the ecosystem. ecosystem. I mean, it's amazing to me that people haven't just left Facebook in droves in terms of what we've seen over the last 18 months, but nobody seems to care. The, the advertisers stay and the user base stays, and it continues to grow. So this is just one more reason for them to be there. Quickly, though, if you're looking for a downstream play, and I do think Dan mentioned PayPal, I'll say this. So you looked at stock went from $80 to trough in December. Topped out at 120 recently. This $100 level is a 50% retracement of that move. Yes, I understand that the valuation is concerned, but if you're looking to trade something you might actually have some beta with, I think PayPal against $100 makes a lot of sense. So here's an interesting question here. Facebook rises 3.5% on this announcement of this payment, payment uh, services platform. Should traditional financials get a higher multiple for the percent of digital business that they do, for the, I mean, should we rethink how we think about a Citigroup and a J.P. Morgan? I mean, when was the last time you actually? I'm not going to ask you that question. I was going to say stepped into a branch, but for today. you, it's probably today, <laughs> exactly. An hour ago. I can't think of the last time I stepped into a branch. I do everything on my phone. Ridiculous. And so should banks be accorded a higher multiple at this point? Well, you know, we think banks should be having a higher multiple for a lot of different reasons. But one thing we do know is they have been investing in digital enormously. Um, I think you've yet to really see the fruits of those labors pay off. Um, but going back to sort of the fintech discussion, I mean, we know this is a frothy part of the market. We know it's overowned. We know it's overvalued. Even if you th- don't think that the banks deserve sort of the full throttle multiple these fintech companies are getting, they should get more than what they're getting now. Yeah. Karen? I think it cuts both ways. People are concerned that they don't need a traditional bank anymore, right? And so for that reason, I think that's one of the parts of a longer-term bear case for banks. But on the flip side, I mean, I, you know, obviously I love J.P. Morgan. I use Zelle all the time. It's, you know, that's sort of a, you need a critical mass, and I think Mm -hmm. it's sort of getting there. I agree with you, though, on the multiple being cheap, even without needing to get that extra from a uh, tech valuation. Yes. Yeah, that idea, I mean, I can't take credit for that idea. Mike May of Wells Fargo had a note out 
um, saying that there should be more uh, closer correlation to maybe a tech multiple for certain parts of the business. And of course, some of the parts can't be really unleashed unless you sell off some of the parts, oftentimes. But still, maybe we could have uh, the largest banks trading at two PE points higher if their consumer businesses were given a higher valuation. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty significant bump to P.E. points higher. Yeah. I mean, in percentage terms, sure. you're talking about a pretty big move in the stocks. And I would push back. I'm sort of in Karen's camp. This is more, to me, a reason why banks don't really need to exist necessarily in the world going forward. I mean, yeah, maybe they can play in that game. But if it's going to become commoditized, why should you have that higher valuation? Yeah, and it also seems like the sort of argument you're going to make at the top of a cycle, you know what I mean, to revalue these banks. We've seen it time and time again about what these bank balances, they have been investing in tech, you know, every top of the cycle for the last 25 years, at least as long as I've been in the market. And for some reason, you never see multiples get too far stretched from where they are um, right now. Back to your original question, Mel. Go ask Apple how easy it is to create a bank sort of structure or offer credit to um, consumers, that sort of thing. When you're coming from the tech universe, you partner with someone like Goldman Sachs, who doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of uh, experience dealing with consumers the way they are right now with this Apple card. This is going to be really difficult for a lot of these guys. What you may see is a big bank merge with a PayPal or something like that that actually has this infrastructure and has this tech build already. And I would also take it a step further. You know, we spent some time last night maybe talking about Google Alphabet, what they're going to do with their 120 or so billion dollars. If they didn't have regulatory scrutiny over them, I would tell you that the Apple or the Google wallet is a zero and that they need a PayPal in, as part of their platform, that sort of thing. And that would be a logical thing. But I'm not sure they can go out and make $150 billion acquisition. Well, that's right an now. interesting point that you raised, too, in terms of Google wallet. Yeah. And if they had their druthers and there were no scrutiny right now, maybe they could buy something in the financial uh, space, but they can't. So is Facebook going to now attract the additional scrutiny of regulators because it wants to go into banking? I, I would, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Yeah. But, I mean, talk about scrutiny. I mean, the guy's been up on Capitol Hill like twice, three times in the last 18 months, and the stock does nothing but continue to go higher. So they've been as scrutinized as any of these companies, and it doesn't seem to matter. We talked about it last night. The Google headline, in my opinion, that should have been more than a $10 move to the downside. But guess what? It was higher today. Nobody seems to care. We've you mean the health so, data? The health data. Yeah. We've become so desensitized to things that we should be in an uproar about. That's a problem in and of itself. All right. Our next guest says it is not worth paying up for these payment stocks, and he's got the receipts to prove it. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Uh, first one is PayPal. And the conversation you guys were having is a very interesting guy. I like what you said. If you don't own it, you can buy it. Unfortunately, I own it. This is the third worst holding in my portfolio. Uh, PayPal, like you said, the $100 level is key. And if you could zoom in right here, you have a little bit of an inverse head and shoulders, which is just basically a low, a lower low, and then one more higher low, and then we move higher. We really need to hold that level, uh, else I'm going to stop out. I certainly am not going to add. A lot of underperformance is the, is the key takeaway here in PayPal. The other one that had the opportunity to really uh, make a move significantly higher was Squarespace. I mean, just really, really vulnerable through this uptrend line. We obviously have a downtrend line, which would be a nice catalyst through the 65 region here. But if you continue to break through about 61 here in Square, uh, I would say that's a no-touch as well. So those are your two have-nots in the payment space. The one that I do like that really caught my attention was Fiserv, F-I, 
SV. I mean, you can just clearly see it. This isn't rocket science here. Where do you draw the lines? Where's the strength? We're clearly making a new high here in FISV. So through 110, um, I'm actually going to be looking to add this one uh, to my portfolio. So I do like this one in the payment space. With regard to the conversation about larger larger cap banks having a higher multiple if they move into the, to the new age of payments, Bank of America, I think you could do a little bit of a catch up here. Clearly a very nice uptrend here. We've just made a new high through 33. I looked at doing JP on this one, but JP is so far gone uh, in this environment that I said maybe maybe bank is a little bit of a better play. And, of course, with the move up in interest rates, we've seen 50 bips on the upside since October, uh, certainly helping the financials, uh, re-steepening of the yield curve. So Bank of America, a little bit of a catch-up uh, play there. All right, Todd, great to see you. Thank you, Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Lori, you had said before that you didn't like the payment space. Is it valuations that you don't like? It, it's that, and also we're going through this dramatic shift in the market in terms of what investors want. So we know that yield, dividends are becoming more in vogue. You certainly get a whole heck of a lot of that with the banks at a cheaper multiple than what you'll get with utilities and REITs, which people are pushing back on these days. Um, the other thing we've seen, though, is that, you know, a lot of the charts we just went through, great long-term secular growth stories, there seems to be less appetite for that in the market right now. I think investors, you know, have, have played out a lot of these trends. They've worked for a very long time. Um, I think some investors are looking for, you know, I hate to use the word, but slightly more boring stories at this point um, that, that offer some safety. Well, it's funny, you know, a boring story is Fiserv, and it's boring to the tune of being up 50% on the year and expected earnings and revenue growth of like 22% next year, trading at what, guy? 22 times. 22 times. I just looked at it. Yeah, so, you you know, back in the old days, you would say that would be growth at a reasonable price, even though it's above a market multiple. But this is kind of the nuts and bolts, the backbone of payments. They've been acquisitive. They've done some smart things, and it seems like they're getting paid back this year for it. But this is the sort of stock I think you do want to buy on pullbacks. And they quickly just reported, I think, on November 8th. And if you look, a lot of analysts had to ratchet up their price target. I think the high one I saw is about $126. I don't think it is expensive. It's boring. So am I. But doesn't mean it can't continue <laughs> to go higher. Never boring, guy. Yeah. Never. I mean, just sometimes. Most of the During the show, mostly. But. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Karen for Square. Yeah. I mean, it had all sorts of business, but, I mean, it shed, it sort of, Whittled down, it got whittled rid down. of caviar. Got rid of caviar. I think it's the good. timing on getting rid of caviar was excellent. Yeah. I think that was really a good move for them. I mean, there was a lot to like. They, they One of the knocks on the story had been that the rate of growth of the uh, GPB was mm-hmm. slowing down. In fact, it, it had plateaued. It did not continue to slow down. That was a big positive. I, I kind of like the story uh, for Square. Um, Back to the banks, though, if I had to pick one, I think Citibank probably has the most upside. Over J.P. Morgan. Yes, even though I love J.P. Morgan. City hasn't gotten to its all-time high. Not all-time high. It may never get to its all-time. You know, it's, it's seven, whatever. It's one-tenth of where it used to be in. But it hasn't gotten to its last year high, and I think it could get there. It has more exposure outside of the United States. That's been weighing on it. But I think City is the most upside. All right, coming up, shares of Skyworks dropping after hours. What does that mean for the rest of the red-hot chip sector? And Apple TV reportedly in talks to bring on a major name in entertainment. We'll break down the very latest in the streaming wars. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Trump talking about everything from the economy to trade talks in a speech at the Economic Club of New York today. We're joined on set by Eamon Javers to bring us all of the highlights. Eamon, welcome. So nice to be nice here. Unbelievable. I mean, you guys get to work inside, so this is great. It's, it's <laughs> nice to be in out of the weather. It was cold out on 6th Avenue today. You can only imagine. Look, it, this was a big economic set piece for the president. Everyone expected, you know, he's going to make some kind of major announcement. He's going to say something about China, USMCA, where are we going? And in the end, he didn't say anything that was major, major news. We, we were thinking maybe we might get a new date uh, for the China deal, maybe a location for the China signing. He didn't do any of that, but he did suggest that that deal is coming. Here's what he said. We're the ones that are deciding whether or not we want to make a deal. We're close. A significant phase one trade deal with China could happen. Could happen soon. But we will only accept a deal if it's good for the United States and our workers and our great companies. So the president saying it could happen soon is about as close as we got, Melissa, to the idea that we're going to pin down any specifics on the China trade deal. He also said that he wants negative interest rates in the United States, says that happens in other countries. He said the Federal Reserve is blocking him from getting that. He wants the Federal Reserve to get out of the way and unleash the power of this economy. You guys know more than I do about what negative interest rates would look like in this country, what the impact of that would be. But the president is convinced that's the right way to go and was pushing for it today. Yeah, he said something like, give me some of that. <laughs> yeah, give me that when money. I, when it give came me that to money. Was negative it? interest rates. Right. Um, Amy, when you piece together what the president said with what Larry Kudlow said on the closing bell earlier today, it sounds almost like the December 15th tariffs could, in fact, come into play. if they can, Because Kudlow yep. basically said there will be no movement on tariffs unless... A, a deal is signed. And, and that's been the baseline assumption all along. But I think what you heard today is, is the president suggesting that there is a possibility we don't get a deal. Remember, he announced this deal back in October as having been completed. Well, it looks like it's not as completed as maybe we thought in October when the president was in the Oval Office with the Chinese delegation. Now, the president talking in a way about the possibility that we don't have a deal at all. Um, and, and we'll see whether we can get there. But he, he's sort of teasing this possibility that we're close, but he's been doing that a lot. And we never seem to get all the way there. As a strategy, doesn't he sort of have to say, uh, look, if we don't get to a deal, we're going to go forward with that, right? That's sort of the stick yeah, out you, there. If in you're the going to have the stick, you've got the carrot, you've got to be prepared to use the stick, right? And, and this is a president who's in a, in a situation politically now. I mean, impeachment is looming. We're going to have this major uh, public hearing tomorrow, which is going to be the, the news of the day in Washington. But he's also got an election cycle coming up in 20. The, the president's going to need a win at some point. And so the political calculus, I think, for the president is different than it is for Xi Jinping, who's president for life in Beijing and has the longest time horizon of any leader on planet Earth. This president needs to do something you would think before next year. I don't think he can go into the election. I don't think he wants to go in to the election having not gotten some kind of trade deal. So, Eamon, this morning, Jim Cramer said something. He's like, are we going to get Trump uh, channeling Mnuchin or are we going to get Trump channeling Navarro? And do you think that did it lean one way or the other? Because listening to Larry Kudlow in the closing bell... I don't think Larry knew what Trump was channeling. It just seemed like a whole lot of nothing today. It was a lot. You know what this reminded me the most of? You know, we go out to these departures at the White House all the time on the South Lawn. The president, you hear Marine One in the background, the helicopters whirling, the president talks. These were a lot of the same points today that the president makes at those South Lawn departures all the time. A lot of this, almost word for word, the, the rhetoric is rhetoric that we've heard before from the president. So I don't know if it was more Mnuchin or, or more Navarro. I mean, ultimately, he sort of split the difference and ended up more or less nowhere. I mean, some 
some of the tough on Beijing rhetoric that we've heard before, some of the signs of a deal coming that we've heard before, but ultimately no real progress in terms of any enlightenment on where this is going to land. Laurie, from your standpoint, I'm curious, um, if the president keeps doing this, is this enough to keep markets at record highs, basically? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've been enjoying the fruits of whatever's coming out later this year. I think we've been trading on that since August. I mean, you know, you mentioned <laughs> the idea that, you know, Trump needs a win at some point going into election year. I've literally been hearing that from investors since the end of August. And my question to right. investors and, and to you as well is, if he needs a win, why haven't we gotten one by now? Well, I mean, the question what, is, when really does he need to win, it? right? I mean, ultimately, the, the timing of this, I think, matters. Impeachment complicates that a little bit because it could change his time horizon. Um, but you might think the president's looking at the electoral calendar. You've got Iowa, New Hampshire coming up in February. Uh, the president might want to counter-program that. Um, and, you know, you have something in your back pocket that you can take out and really smash the news cycle with. That might be an opportunity for that if it's ready to go behind the scenes. And we just don't know whether it's ready to go. Behind the scenes. And, I, and I guess my second question is when, when we do get phase, this phase one deal, what's actually going to be in it? And will it be anything that will actually restore business confidence? We've seen such a deterioration in business confidence. Some measures are down around recession lows. Is phase one deal going to fix that? Well, we have no idea because I've been asking the White House the same question that you just asked, which is the president announced the phase one deal in October in the Oval Office. And immediately I went into the press office and said, great, uh, give me the paper. You know, what are the bullet points? You know, where, where are some paragraphs with writing that, that show us what's in this deal? And there was nothing. There, there was, they offered us nothing in writing about what was in that deal. The Chinese essentially never agreed that there even was a deal. Uh, on the phase one deal. So, you know, where does that leave you? It, you know, maybe there was a deal, maybe there wasn't a deal. There was some kind of announcement, and now we're still negotiating the same deal. So what's going to be in it? Who knows? It's clear, though, that they punted the hardest stuff right. into phase two and phase three whenever those are coming. But all the stuff about intellectual property, all the stuff about cyber theft and, and you know, corporate theft of major corporate secrets, all that stuff is not going to be in phase one. That's going to be in the harder phase two, phase three, and it's not clear what the timeline for that you is. You know what the most important quarter for GDP is in a presidential election cycle? Q2. Q2 of that year of the election. That's when it's baked in? That's when it's, that's the Q2. Supposedly you, you want like that's a blowout Q2 so number yeah. in order to sway people's hearts and minds. So if that's the case, you get a deal in Q1. <laughs> Right. You sort of unleash whatever is going to be unleashed on the economy, in theory. Hits Q2. Well, I mean, it sets up Damn. for it because GDP went from north of 3% in the first quarter. It's going to be around 1% in the next quarter. I mean, it's, go, it's trending the wrong way. So he can talk about the greatest economy right. in the history of mankind all he wants. I think at a certain point you're confusing the economy with the market. And I think what we're learning, if nothing else, the two have never been wider apart. At some point, politically, it's about how you feel, right? The old political joke is, right. what's the difference exactly. between a recession and a depression? A recession is when your brother-in-law is out of work. A depression is when you're, you're out, out of work. Right? Yeah. And how people feel, how they experience the economy, multiplied by 350 million, is sort of where the politics of this yeah. will shake out next year. And we just don't know where that's going to be yet. Eamon, thank you. Great to Thanks see you in person. This is great. I appreciate it. Eamon Javers, come on inside anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> For more on the president's speech in New York City and the impact it's had on the markets, head on over to CNBC.com. Here's what else we have coming up. Earnings season lighting up with the latest results out of the pot sector. We'll break down the numbers from one-time industry darling Tilray. And later, Burger King taking its meatless meat game across the pond. But has the plant-based craze run too far? 
We'll bring you that and much more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. You hear the music, you know what that means. Mm. An earnings triple play. Skyworks, Tilray, Maldirect, all in the red after reporting results. So we've got full team coverage. Our earnings whip on all of these names. Kate Rogers standing by and Tilray, Bertha Coombs digging in on Maldirect. We start with Josh Lipton in the big move lower for Skyworks. Josh. So, Melissa, you know, Skyworks listed up uh, some 50% year-to-date heading into this print in the red right now. Checked in with uh, Craig Ellis over at B. Riley. Uh, listen, he says quarter modest beat, outlook larger raise, neither as significant, though, he says, as uh, rival Corvo's results. Uh, though Ellis saying, listen, this is what he expected. Um, and in his opinion, he just thinks the street expected too much from this quarter. He is still bullish on the name, he tells me. It is very well positioned for 5G, he says, and very well positioned for those kind of big tier one customers like Apple. Of course, Apple is a big customer here. In fact, on 5G, the CEO on the call is saying the 5G upgrade cycle is underway, that it is a significant opportunity for Skyworks, just given the number of use cases, he says, not just smartphones, but industrial IoT and AI, and that his company, he says, is at the forefront of that sea change. The CFO also talking about Huawei, though, another significant customer uh, that was ahead when he says, given that Huawei is on that American blacklist, though he says the company is managing it well. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh. Thank you, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. I think maybe the most important thing about that report is what Josh said at the very first uh, opening of the hit, and that is it's up 50% this year. I and mean, we've had a huge run in a lot of these suppliers going into Skyworks. It's sort of like the tail end of these suppliers reporting. So Josh also mentioned Corvo, one of their mm-hmm. competitors. In November 1st, when they reported, that stock gapped up 15%, and Skyworks went up in sympathy about 10%, yeah. broke out to a new 52-week high. And I think that probably took some of the excitement. That quarter that they just reported would not have gapped the stock up, but it was up in sympathy. So now it's back in the mid-90s, back to that breakout level. And it's probably a decent level if you believe in the 5G upgrade story and you're looking at a stock trading at a market multiple where expectations have come down pretty dramatically and then you look out a year and you say okay maybe the Huawei headwinds are going to be gone Samsung's a big customer and Apple's at least a third of their revenues and you say this is a a, a place that I want to place my chips on the board Hang your hat. Oh. Hang your well, hat. there was a that chip too. thing guy. You missed it. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Chips will yeah. put your chips okay. like chips all in. Okay, yeah. boomer. It's like okay. You know, this whole okay boomer thing, uh, I don't even, I don't know if I'm supposed to be happy about that or sad. 
16 times Skyward. It's not, look, it's not expensive. Dan's right. But you don't really have any earnings growth. So the reason you're buying it is the belief that this whole 5G rollout is going to be tremendous. It was a $60 stock in December, traded 100 bucks. I think it actually trades lower than this. I don't think 95 is its home. I think the breakout level is closer to 90, and I think that's where it trades down to. Laura, do you like semis? So we're actually pretty neutral on them. They haven't actually looked that cheap to us. They haven't looked that expensive to us either. But, you know, I think there's not a free pass for anybody in this earnings season. If you've gone up 50% heading into a print, you're less than perfect. Um, investors are looking for reasons to take profits. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, get to Smile Direct Club now. That stock is tanking after reporting its earnings. Bertha Coombs has more on this. Bertha. Despite the fact that they did have a top-line beat, Melissa, they uh, didn't raise guidance for some investors as much as they would have liked. They are now saying 750 to 755 million, not a bigger raise. Their original uh, guidance had been for 747 million. One of the issues that people were concerned about on the call is the fact that their legal expenses. Kyle Wales just got off the phone with him. He was saying, yes, they did double from second quarter, third quarter, and they expect them to continue to be high in the fourth quarter. They're not breaking them out, but the reason is they are feeling some regulatory pushback in a number of states, not the least of which is California, which passed a law that said there needs to be more x-rays involved with people getting aligners. Here's what uh, CEO David Katzman had to say about that on the call. We've had over 30 uh, state dental board inquiries. We've, we've Every single one of those, we've, we've been cleared. There's been no adverse actions. And so we will, you know, I think as investors out there, you have to understand that that's the nature of this disruptive business, which is also what keeps uh, competitors out, which it's, it's really a barrier uh, in, a lot, in a lot of respects. One of the things he says is they're going to be more proactive rather than waiting and seeing what happens in each state. They're working with former Senator Bill Frist, who helped Teladoc push through a lot of telehealth uh, legislation in a number of states. And they are going to look at pushing through teledentistry legislation to remove some of these impediments. Back to you guys. All right, Bertha. Thank you, Bertha Coombs here at the NASDAQ. Um, this is one of these IPOs came to market. It seemed like an interesting sort of business industry, but the regulatory has not caught up with what this industry is. And here we are, and it's mm -hmm. sort of having to deal with the consequences. Right, and also makes you think, you know, that maybe it shouldn't have gone public, right? Mm -hmm. It was a different era, even though it was only two months ago, yeah. right? Uh, just, you know, and loss, a lot of losses piling up aside from the legal. I don't know. This is one that it's just I think it's sort of going to be orphaned a little bit uh, because I don't know. It's a vicious cycle. It doesn't has you know been disappointing, and it continues to disappoint. There's a big short interest, though. I'm surprised that hasn't been more support. Right. They shipped 106,000 aligners last year. This there was 72,000. You have growth there, revenue beat, but they the more money they make, the more money they lose. That's not a good business model. Sounds a lot like Uber. And you're going to say, I know you have a solution for these guys and gals. Go to Great Britain. Yeah. Boris Johnson Brexit braces. Think about that. It'd be genius. They would crush it but over there. Braces over there means suspenders. suspenders. That's why it's so genious. No, you it's trick not. them all it's, to it's getting there. I mean, I've seen I've seen those movies. I'm Very just bad saying. marketing. All right, we're going to move on. Let's turn to Tilray. <laughs> that stock is slightly lower after reporting earnings. Kate Rogers is at headquarters with more on this. Kate. Hi, Melissa. The company reporting a loss on EPS and a slight beat on revenue to $51 million in the quarter. That represented, though, a 400% jump year on year. Total kilograms sold increased sixfold, while prices fell by half. Now, the stock has had quite a run-up since going public. In the past 52 weeks, it's traded as high as $120. Right now, it's trading at just about $21. You're 
year-to-date down some 70%. Our Wilford Frost asked CEO Brendan Kennedy if he regretted going public when the company did. Here's what he had to say on Closing Bell. The last year has been uh, highly volatile, but there's, there's a lot of pressure on the entire industry. Um, what I'm excited about is that it's, it's still day one in this industry. If you think about 40, 41 countries that have legalized for medical, I think that will increase to 80. And currently, uh, there's only two countries in the world, Uruguay and Canada, that have legalized for adult use, and that number will increase. Kennedy reiterated that on the call, talking about the company really building the global infrastructure required to continue to grow on both the medicinal and recreational sides when it's time for that here in the U.S. He also said the company does expect significant growth in both Q4 and in 2020. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. I think it's always an interesting question to ask a CEO whether they regret going public because the fact of the matter is, is they got money when money was available. <laughs> Isn't that the most important thing when you're going public as a company? I guess so. I mean, yes, if you need the money, for sure. Does WeWork wish, wish they went public at any price? Yeah, I bet, I bet they do. I don't know. I feel like what's your, you, you have the most in-depth knowledge of this space on the desk, I think. <laughs> what do you think of the industry at this point? Well, in Canada, uh, there's a problem in terms of meeting demand. Um, and so that has been the problem there, which is a good problem to have. Uh, at the same time, pricing has been very shaky. Um, they've got a whole bunch of new products that are going to be legal in Canada come December 15th, the edibles, the vaping products, um, but those are not necessarily seen as legs of growth. It's really the medical and the recreational side, and recreational makes up the bulk of the Canadian uh, cannabis market. There's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to, to cannabis, even in the United States. And if you look at Cantor Fitzgerald, they just initiated a bunch of these names. Two overweights, but Tilray, yeah. market neutral, $20 the price Canadian target. The Canadian ones, so yeah. They're all market neutral. So, you know, if you look at Tilray, the stock, I mean, it's basically been upper left to the lower right. In other words, it's only going straight down now for the last year. Until that trend changes, which it shows no sign of, you know, I think the stock continues to sort of trend lower. Yeah, I'd just say that we talked about SmileDirect, Tilray. We have all these other money-losing IPOs that have gone. And, and a lot of them, you know, to your point, Mel, yeah, it's great if you can put some money on your balance sheet. That's how you kind of build out your business. But it's also coming at a time where it seems that, you know, some of the speculative uh, light should be going off a little bit. These are a lot of companies that don't have a lot of public comps. They're not profitable. They're not even telling you when they're going to be profitable. They all have some really interesting regulatory issues from rideshare. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think it'll be really interesting interesting when we get to Airbnb. This is the big kahuna. This is the last one to come. And, you know, just like we started hearing stuff about Uber and Lyft, and then we started hearing stuff about WeWork, we're just starting to hear things about Airbnb, about some of the issues that they have on the regulatory front, some of the issues that they have on users, that sort of thing. So it, it's really interesting. If the biggest ones of this entire cycle can't come out and be successful for the people who buy them in the public markets, then you have to start to rethink how we're doing this. And this goes back to guys' biggest villains, of the 21st century. Central bankers. Maybe these ben companies Bernanke. never get here to where they are in the valuations if interest rates weren't so low for so long and our president wants to go negative. Can you imagine the goofiness that we would see in the next few years in this next cycle if we had negative interest rates in this country? Hmm, something to ponder. Hmm. But if Airbnb goes direct listing, will we ever really, can we ever really use that as a 
taking the temperature of the market. Well, on this that is a front. massively disruptive company, as you would have said sure. about WeWork, as you would have said about they're disrupting massive industries. And so at the end of the day, global domination is a big part of it. They need to raise capital. You know, I mean, that's a really big part. You know, Amazon and some of these companies, Amazon lost 85 percent of its value from its highs in 2000 to its lows in 02. It lost 65 percent of its public market value from its highs in 07 to its lows in 09. So you just can't rely on what the equity markets are going to give you. And I'd say about Tilray, Tilray still, it went public at 17. It's trading at 21. That's the only time they've raised capital. How high did that stock get? They should have been doing secondary after secondary and, and assuring I mean, the when future the of this company. That's right. Um, so, you know, to me, I, I don't know how these boardrooms work, but they don't seem to be making a lot of right decisions right now. Coming up, it's a whole new world for Disney, but the rollout of Disney Plus wasn't exactly magical. Is this an opportunity for other players in this mystery stock unseated Tesla as the most profitable bet for short sellers this year? We'll find out what it is when Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney Plus launching today and shaking up the streaming wars, but not without some of its own tech issues. Let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles with more on this. Hey, Julia. That's right, Melissa. Disney shares gaining over 1% today as the media giant makes its biggest move yet away from the TV bundle. $7 a month is what Disney Plus costs. It has 10 original series, two original films at launch, along with 7,500 TV episodes, as well as 500 movies. Those are from Disney's flagship brand, along with Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. Now, the launch did have some hiccups. About 7,000 people reporting streaming errors this morning on the website Down Detector. Disney responding, saying, quote, the consumer demand for Disney Plus has exceeded our highest expectations. While we are pleased by this incredible response, we are aware of the current user issues and are working swiftly to resolve them. We haven't heard any updates from Disney since then. Now, since unveiling Disney Plus back in April, Disney shares have gained about 18 percent, while shares of Netflix, facing both new competition from Disney and also losing Disney content, they have fallen about 20 percent. But today's launch is not just about competing with Netflix and soon HBO Max, but also about building Disney's digital advertising business. It's bundling ad-free Disney Plus with Hulu and ESPN Plus. Both of those have ads. It's going to be offering those for $13 a month. That's a $5 discount. Now, Hulu is competing with Viacom's Pluto TV, as well as YouTube. And then next year, NBC Universal's ad-supported Peacock. They are all tackling the digital video ad market, which Disney has projected will be worth over $50 billion in the year 2022. Now, in the battle for content in the streaming wars, it's continuing. We've just confirmed that former HBO chief Richard Plepler is now in talks to sign an exclusive production deal at Apple. This, of course, comes as Apple looks to ramp up its content offerings for Apple TV Plus, which it launched less than two weeks ago. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Borston. So Plepler was key at HBO. Does that make you more optimistic about Apple and its streaming service? Uh, I guess. I mean, that's good talent. But I think the whole race is getting so much more competitive now. You see all of those um, logos of how many people are getting into the business. I like Apple. I'm long Apple, not really for the TV, but for the rest of the business. Yeah. Um, Dan, you're the person 
who I think of when I think of Disney Plus yeah. and wanting to sign up for it immediately. And in fact, you were there at what time this yeah, morning? Yeah, worked right now. To... And, and you know what? I just pulled up Disney Plus. So I was uh-huh. watching the Mandalorian stream right here. I mean, listen, here's the thing. I, I think that, you know, normally with technology, you'd say, let's go to the ones that are disrupting. And that has been the Netflix story for years. Right now, I think what Disney might prove to us in the next year or two is that you want to stay with the incumbents, the ones that are willing to cannibalize their existing businesses because they see what's going on. I throw Comcast into the mix there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a lot of levers to pull because this was going to happen one way or another. The cord is getting cut. And so now these guys have been owning the content. Let's throw AT&T in there with Warner. You know, I mean, I think that these are going to be platforms to be reckoned with for a very long time. And I would have said a couple years ago, we're going to see all this bundling unbundled over the next few years. We see this time and time again with tech. I don't think so. I think this is like generational sort of stuff. Definitely the way that Bob Iger's doing it with Disney. So we, to, meant, we mentioned streaming wars and all these players, but I mean, the models are very different. I mean, if you take a look at who, who all is ad-supported or not ads, depending on what you pay for, and Comcast offering is going to be ad-supported how, I mean, how do you compare that against There are at least three Disney? or four different models. I mean, right. Roku's its own models. Sure. I mean, so I don't know how you do it, but you have to, in order to own Disney here, you have to make a certain assumption. Does the, are they going to grow into a higher valuation given the business they're in? Trades at 23 times-ish next year's numbers. That's a premium valuation. We talked about CBS. Is it seven? Now, I understand they're different business, but is it one-third or so of Disney? I, I don't know. So... The bet on Disney is you're going to continue to see this earnings growth, and it's going to grow into a 25 valuation. That's a big bet to make in this environment, I think. They're spending so much, right? So So at some point it pays off, right? That's yeah, but all. right now you're seeing we're at the you know the front end of the spend. That's that's the bet you're making, right? Yeah. Is the is the spend going to pay off? Right. I mean, and that's the bet you're making with Netflix to a certain extent as yep. well. Up next, Walmart on deck with earnings this week will break down what you can expect when the retailer reports. Plus, Tesla shorts getting burned as shares of the electric car maker rev up. The details ahead don't go anywhere. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. If there are any cracks opening up in the consumer trade, nobody told Walmart the retail giant's already up a whopping 28% in 2019. And when reports on Thursday, earnings that is, options traders are betting on even bigger gains. Realm Capital founder Roger De Silva joins us at the Plasma to break down the action. Roger, welcome. What are you seeing? Yeah, so Walmart's implying about a 4% move up or down. That's a little higher than average. Over the last four quarters, it's been about 3%. Uh, probably most likely due because... Last quarter, you had a 6% move, so we'll see what happens there. As you can see, two times the calls have traded uh, versus out of the put. So options traders are implying we think there's going to be a, a larger move to the upside. Most, uh, most of the open interest has been in the 120 strike calls and the 125 strike calls. So as you can see, you have this, de- this uptrend from the December low touching the August low we're right there at the highs. Based on the implied move, you could see a nice upside move to well over 120, or on the downside, you're talking around 115, where there should be some support. So if you're long the stock, you could either own it or get into the calls, which I like that trade up here. 
All right, Roger, thank you very much. Roger DeSilva, Realm Capital. Lori, what do you think of the consumer at this point? So we think the consumer itself is doing just fine. I mean, we've just gone through, frankly, a brutal reporting season in terms of the volume of stuff that was hitting every day. And we were scouring the reports looking for any signs of weakness, and we just really couldn't find any. Um, now, I think the stocks are a different story. I think everyone's known the consumer has been fine all year. And at this point, I'm not really sure what new incremental good news there is to come out. So we would say if you're a believer in the cyclical recovery, buy the banks, buy the financials, um, buy industrial stocks, buy machinery stocks. Um, but we actually downgraded Staples about a month ago, so we'd be sitting out on the sidelines with this one. All right. For more options action, check out the full show. Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, a short seller food feast, the one delivery stock that just became the most lucrative short bet this year. We'll bring you that name. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking to the CEO of Micron Technology. we got that full interview coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Elon Musk may have finally made good on a tweet from all the way back in May of 2018. Oh, and a short burn of the century coming soon, he wrote. Flamethrowers should arrive just in time, uh, he tweeted back then. It's certainly taken longer than he and shareholders would have liked, but Tesla's no longer the best bet for short sellers. That title goes to Uber. Short sellers have grabbed nearly $1 billion in profit since the company went public just back in May. Second on the list, Grubhub, whose shares have been sliced in half since January. Short sellers have now lost nearly $800 million on Tesla since the stock's recent turnaround. So is it finally time to declare Elon Musk the winner here, Guy? Well, I mean, he's clearly the winner today and good sure. for him. But And listen, again, I, I thought this stock was going to fail at 275 and you see where it is now. So Good for him, bad for me. But there's a lot of runway left for this Tesla story to go pear-shaped in a major way. So in bask in the glow now. But again, I mean, this to me, this is not the final chapter of the bull case. I think there are many more to go. And I still think the stock trades lower at some point. But you can see getting into a virtuous cycle here in that the higher the stock trades, the more sort of protection they can do an equity offering if they need to. Right. right? So uh, that cures a lot of ills if they're able to do that. Um, buys them a lot of time. So I think at the moment, yeah, he's the winner. Yeah, he just announced today that they found a site for a new Berlin Gigafactory, so making cars locally in Europe as well as in China and in the U.S. It's, it's really interesting when you think about the market cap of Uber and you think of the market cap of Tesla. They're pretty yeah. similar. And you think about the two different approaches by these CEOs. Musk is always trying to burn the shorts, you know. Dara's just trying to do his thing. He makes a few mistakes like he did the other night on Axios. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I think I'd rather go with the Dara, although I thought he kind of really muffed it the other night, um, adding fuel to maybe the shorts. But Musk, I mean, come on. You know, like all this stuff, we're just exhausted. Like we're exhausted to other things. In the, you, know, you don't think he's improved since then? I, I think he has. I think, you know, just the clock's ticking until the next time we see something silly and, and the stock will be going the other way. Up next, final trade. Time for the final trade, Dan. Yeah, XRT, that's the retail ETF. I think you sell it here too far too fast. Lori Calvacina. Most people are underweight small caps. They've started to have a little bit of a breakout. If you believe in the cyclical recovery, they're going to do better. So get back to neutral. And thank you for joining us, Lori. Karen? Yes, I usually like to buy the rumor, sell the news, but I, I'm hoping of buying the glitch here in Disney. I think it's going to be huge. Um, Dan likes it too. Disney. Dan likes it. Dan likes it, you know. Sell it. Like PayPal against $100, Melissa. See you tomorrow back here at 5 Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts now. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.